Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Growler, the Earth Sinus College interview podcast series. I'm Albert Han. I'm Kim Corona. And we are joined today by Marilyn Chin, a writer and activist. Uh, if I were to go on and introduce her and tell you about all of her writing and accomplishments, uh, that would take us way too long, uh, and we don't really have time for that, but it's safe to say she's very prolific an acclaimed writer, and we were lucky enough to have her on campus yesterday. So uh, yeah, in lieu of a really long introduction that you could look up yourself, we're going to go to the questions. Okay, so in your recent, in your most recent work, Hard Love Province, um, it's basically like a collection of elegies dedicated to Don, who was one of your boyfriends who unfortunately passed away. So that being said, what was it like writing about Dom? How did writing about him affect the way that you think about him slash process his death? Oh, it was, I mean, it was such a terrible event. We were in, I was giving a lecture at UCLA, and I don't know if you know 405 freeway from UCLA to San Diego. He was driving, and his arm stopped working, and so he had a, a major aneurysm while he was driving down the freeway 70 70 miles per hour and I so we had to veer off and I had to take over the the drive and I and I was frozen I couldn't speak to him I was so focused I had to take him to the emergency emergency room Um, and I couldn't speak to him and he just uh, slipped away he had uh, and so and and he died almost immediately he he was uh, pronounced brain dead therefore it's just, it seemed to me that life w- was so tenuous and that um, we can't control everything. And I had a process, it t- took me a long time to process that, that death. I mean, I dream about him, I think about him, and I felt sorry that I didn't, uh, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye. Therefore, I don't know, I lost my, I lost two boyfriends, my mother and grandmother, within 10 years. And so it was 10 years of grieving. And, and uh, of course, I had to process it through the sadness, through the writing. But as you can tell, I couldn't help but writing about sex and <laughs> politics. Uh, other stuff had to come through because, uh, because basically I'm a very optimistic and cheerful person, but uh, life happens and death happens. And so it was a difficult uh, time, t- difficult 10 years, but uh, I processed to poetry, I think it, it, in I process through my poetry, in that I deeply believe that poetry, writing poetry, is the close. You know, it's it's a vein that's closest to the heart. It's, it's a genre that's closest to to the heart. And when you're, when one is sad or happy, and that's or, or when one is ponderous, it's 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 a good release to you know, it's it's good therapy to to sit down and and write out one's feelings. And and not always it, those feelings those the jottings may not turn out to be a poem, but fragments of, of that sort of fragments of your memories and your feelings might, you know, may come through, may turn into a poem, may somehow find, find the right vessel, or the right vase to, yeah, to contain the feelings. So I think it was very important that I, write these elog- that I wrote these elegies for, um, for Don. His name is Don Lone Wolf. He's uh, of the Ute Mountain tribe. Our next question talks about discrimination um, and how you've dealt with it, faced it, both as a woman and Chinese-American. Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> I mean, uh, there are, 
you know, assumptions, presumptions. There's there there's stereotypes about you know us. I mean, um, as I I've I said in the at the reading, people probably think that I'm really quiet and sweet and and kind. I am all those things actually. <laughs> Actually, I was very quiet and shy as a child, but I had to, because I have to give readings and presentations, I have to learn how to, how to express myself orally and physically in many ways, because what my, I was raised by my grandmother, and she, she had a set of beliefs, like, a nice Chinese girl is obedient, she's quiet, she doesn't stir, stir up things. She doesn't uh, speak back to authority, right? And um, and she has she must be respectful. But once you walk out that door, you uh, you've heard the term double consciousness. You walk out that door, the, the Du Bois term, uh, double consciousness. You walk out that door into the American world, which in which the value system is different. Uh, one uh, uh, pre, the the American world wants assertiveness, um, act, act you know activeness, uh, outspokenness, and and it's really based on this I don't know uh, Darwinian <laughs> economy in which <laughs> we'll go out and and devour the world and uh, and conquer. Um, so it was very hard living that those. Yeah, that those that double life, you walk into your, you know I don't know if you guys feel this way. You walk into your um, your parents' home, and you're you're this you have this one set of rules, or or um, and you're behaving this one way, and then you walk out the door, you must put on a different mask. But it is, I guess those of us who who come from. I don't know, those of us <laughs> with di- diverse backgrounds, we learn how to straddle both worlds. We learn how to do it. And we, I think, I think we're, we're smart and, and creative people. We, we somehow uh, learn how to stra- straddle both worlds, and therefore, I think, uh, we survive and, and we conquer. <laughs> the word conquer is terrible, but one has to conquer one's fears, and one has to you know, has to blossom in the world. The only only way to blossom is to be able to live in both worlds, to to be able to live in multiple worlds. So it's it's a lifelong process. When reading your or your work, I applaud you because you're very open and honest about certain things. So, like such as racism, um, sexism, sexuality. So, like my question for you is like, what drives you to be so writing open, writing um, so honestly about sexuality? Well, I just can't help it. You know, I mean, I feel like I, I, I am a part of the mind, of the part of the mind, and of the soul, and of the heart, and of the body, right? I mean, it might. Everything might not merge in one poem, but I think we would be foolish to deny our sexuality, right? And especially in poetry, the you know the um, as I said, I, th- I think that poetry is a genre that's closest to our hearts. Uh, therefore, like going to the haiku, I can't write that um, the Zen, uh, the Basho Zen, um, beautiful landscape haiku because it's. I, of course, there were flowers and branches and frogs <laughs> in the haiku series, but I had to 
make them my own. I have to claim them in some some weird, interesting way. And the and because I'm just that rowdy girl poet, I you know that I, <laughs> that rowdy I uh, feminist girl poet. I had to you know mess with it, mess with the form. So. I, you know, as I said, I subverted and perverted the frog, you know, and and made fun of history, uh, and and somewhat put a satirical edge to the form, and uh, and therefore it changes the form just a little bit because I still use seventeen syllables, and there, are, there's you can still hear their blossoms, and there, there's still, you can there's landscape in the poems, but. Um, but hey, I, I you know I claim them in the same way I claim my sexuality and my body. There's a French Algerian feminist named uh, Helene Sassou, and she says, "We have to write with our bodily juices," and I think that's <laughs> I love that, you know. I, and I think that's um, that's very important to me. I mean, I think that we we use we use our brain so much in our um, in our writing. Um, that we forget that it's really about feelings, about about love and anger and and hate and and disgust. Uh, there are so there's uh, so much that we can draw upon. I mean, the, the our feelings, our bodily juices, are f- physically there's so much going on as we're writing the poem that we um, that is even more interesting than what's going on in the brain. I mean, so we. There's often a disconnect when we're you know when we're working, you know, in our writing when 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 we're writing our sentences. So that's why I try to go back to the five senses. I try to, I try to engage all five senses in the work. You recently retired from teaching. Why not retire from San Diego State? I still run around teaching. Retired from the latest place. So we were wondering. This is a number of questions. Feel free to tackle any and all of them. Um, were you always interested in teaching? What did you learn from it? What was surprising from it? Did it affect your writing process? I think it's very hard to teach creative writing, and especially uh, I was, uh, um, the last 20 years I was teaching an MFA program, Master of Fine Arts program. I don't know if maybe you want you two want to uh, get your MFAs. And it's, um, it's, it's a tricky thing to teach creative writing because... Basically, I just teach forms. To, I, t- I say there these variety. This there's so much to learn, right? And here, here's the long line poem, the short line poem. Here's a sonnet. Maybe not, here's a haiku. Here's a dramatic monologue. Here's ancient Chinese quatrains. Here's uh, here's uh, English traditional song and so forth. I just I. I I bring these different forms to class and different reading to support the forms, and I, and I tell the the students, well, it's up to you, to, you know, to engage with your muse and and with your genre, and whether you're writing poetry, fiction, or what uh, nonfiction, you have to know the the history of your genre. You can't be lazy, right? Um, and so. So lately, I've been I've been teaching through form, but I, it's very, very hard to um, uh, to teach creative writing. In that, I think every, 
I think we all believe that we're, we're great writers. Because <laughs> our mothers, well, not my mother, but <laughs> of course, not my grandmother. She, she wanted me to, you know, be a doctor or something. But I think, I think that we all, yeah, it's, it's very hard, hard to, you know, uh, teach somebody how to be a poet. You just have to, you have, just have to spend your hours in the library reading uh, and, and writing, and it's uh, and you have to have something to say. I think uh, you know uh, a lot of students don't have much to say. If you have, it's amazing. Yeah, it's what can I say? I think I, I'm I retired early so that I could get out of academia and not and and to really roam the world a little bit and to. Um, to hear myself speak again, because once you're in academia, you're uh, you're filtering it in a different way, you know, through um, um, through different lenses. Um, I had a sort of a quick question based on that. Um, so the first part of your, your answer, um, which is I'm uh, looking into MFA programs right now. It's sort of you know what I want to do after this. So I was wondering if you had any you know, advice or anything you'd say specifically to you know, someone who's in that category of looking to. Uh, pursue an MFA creative writing? Well, first of all, find out uh, who's teaching <laughs> in the program and um, find out if that, you know, you, you, you know uh, that you might want to, you know, whether or not you want to, you might want to work with that person, right? Uh, read up on their work and uh, find out which are the best programs you might want to, you might want to apply to 10 programs simultaneously because I hear uh, that's this, there's a lot of competition out there. A lot, a lot of people want to get MFAs, um, so um, that's I think uh, that's important. And and you know it's it it this what this happened to me as well that you 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 expect to work with a certain person, but but sometimes you get there and that person's no longer there, or <laughs> or you get you don't get and somehow you don't click, you know, um, person uh, pers- personality wise. So. Um, just make sure you, you, f- you find a program with, in which there are various interesting writers and, um, and, and classes uh, that, yeah, uh, that, they, that are offered that uh, interest you, and that's, that's what's important. It's hard to know with, you know, you, you make the best of whatever is given to you. I think that's how, that's how it, it works. And... Um, and that you could go to uh, a, a really great program, a very uh, prestigious program, and feel I don't know, and it, it it might not work, you know, or or you may go to you might go to a smaller uh, program in no in the middle of nowhere and and find it to be very exciting. So you don't. It's hard to um, it's hard to assess this, but apply to about ten programs this month <laughs> and. If you know, if you get into let's say three, uh, then make your choice. I mean, that's that's the way it is. Is um, it's, but um, but but look 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 the people up, look the writers up, yeah, in in the programs and and research their work and and find out if you can learn from them. Yeah. So in your recent work, there's an extensive use of repetition and rhyme. Um, which are topics many writers might feel uncomfortable or unconfident handling. Do these come intuitively to you, or were you pushing yourself um, with these techniques? Oh, the rhymes and you know, I learned a lot from from the rapsters. You know, <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, you know, I used to tell my students, don't rhyme crime with dime. Rhyme 
uh, jack off a Raskinikov or something like that, right? Uh, but the the rapsters are so wild with the rhymes that it really changed. I I think um, the tenor of of contemporary poetry. I so I'm going back to rhyme, uh, and and the blues poem I read, of course. Uh, one has to have full rhyme in a blues poem because it's just part of the tradition. And and damn, if Bessie Smith would uh, would shout, you know, shout at me from heaven if 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 I didn't rhyme. And but um, but I don't always use rhyme. But I use off rhyme as well. And um, I don't know. It's coming back in style, don't you think? <laughs> It could be because of hip hop. Because mm-hmm. of yeah, yeah. The haiku, the uh, Uh, the, I have I write kind of a formalized free verse, and and the how I got that name is a dramatic monologue, but it's also a spoke kind of a spoken word thing. Did you uh, feel that's what? But not quite spoken word because they spoken word they go ah you know what I mean they have that little yeah. I can't get into that. <laughs> I would have to wear my hat backward or something, <laughs> but yeah whatever whatever tools you can. You can use or whatever. I I'm using you know a lot of traditional song. I mean, I, Chinese, yeah, Chinese folk songs. I hear I hear Chinese folk songs. I try to transcribe them into English, and and that's um, that's also in the ear. We forget that that uh, poetry came from an oral tradition. Uh, you know, it came from a written tradition, but also. Um, Uh, an oral tradition that there, um, there was singing and dancing with poetry, you know, and I think that um, that's important to to ha- to listen to music, you know, that 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 would refine help refine the work, um, and yeah, I just I just love so- sounds, you know, and I think poets, you know, uh, you're a poet if you really uh, love the sound of words as well as you know. Um, The meaning of the words. For our last question, uh, it's an Ernestinus Growler special, I guess you could say, um, and it's, what sound does a bear make? <laughs> thank you for so much uh, for listening, and thank you, Marilyn, for for joining us uh, yesterday and today for the podcast.